Uh, we're going to segue to a new sermon series today um, on anger called The Shapes of Wrath. So a question for you as we start is, do you ever get angry? Dr. Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Yeah, but when you get angry, you're not able to do that. And me neither. Anger, strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. And they can show up anywhere, right? It can show up in our marriage relationship. In fact, that's often the place where we tend to get angriest, all right? We get upset with the people that are closest to us. So our spouse uh, or our children, or if we're driving next to somebody on the road and they mess up, we just... And we get green, well, we don't get green like that, but we get upset. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving in the back roads, and I, I don't know if you're like this, but when I'm in a back road, I tend to be kind of a uh, casual driver. My wife might say careless, um, but so I, so I'm, I come to a T, and I'm going to turn right, and the road kind of turns hard back right. It wasn't a 90 degree, so I, uh, I should have been more attentive and cutting the corner a little harder. Instead, I kind of mosey on out to the middle of the road. And I'm across the line and starting to cut back when I realize there's a big jacked-up pickup truck headed my direction. I think it might have been one of the King boys. No, it wasn't. Because as he flashed by, I didn't even need to be a really good lip reader to see the F-bomb he dropped on me. I mean, this kind of hostility and animosity... uh, out when we're driving is so prominent these days. We have our we have a, a special phrase for it, right? It's called what? Road rage. Yeah, road rage. People pull guns. They pull knives when somebody's cut them off in traffic, and it goes from there to homicide. I mean, and yet it seems so absurd when other people do it. Get upset like that. But us, a little different story. Child goes out the door. Let the door hanging open, and, you know, you just go off. It's, in the big scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. Okay, a mosquito or two comes inside. A fly or two comes inside. What's the worst that can happen? And we go, I can't believe you left the door open! And the kids, if this is not the first time, they go, sorry. And they go on about their business. It doesn't... The anger that's generated doesn't have the impact that we want it to have because it's become familiar and they they kind of take it with a grain of salt. Now, if that's the first time you did that, they might remember that and go, what virus does my mother have? So you thought it was the dad, right? Projects. This is, uh, I don't typically get mad at people. I get mad at things. Can anybody identify one or two of you. Uh, I still have a hammer in my shop that is uh, almost 50 years old, kind of rusty. And I remember the day I got so angry at things weren't going right, a project I was working on. I raised that hammer and I drove that sucker through the, through the top of my workbench, three-quarter inch thick. Now, you know why that we could do that, right? 
when we get angry, our, our brain secretes uh, epinephrine. It's, it's adrenaline, we call it. It secretes this stuff, and we're able to do things like, well, maybe not like Dr. Bannon, but we can do some amazing things. We have, we have strength we wouldn't normally have. That's that flight or fight hormone. So if we're going to need to defend ourselves or our loved ones or if we're going to need to run away from danger, we have the extra oomph that we need. And so uh, this is one of the reasons where this, why the psychologists are reshaping um, and trying to project that anger is a good thing. And yet the scripture has a whole different take on this. The title of this message series is taken from the best-selling book by John Steinbeck, 1939, called The Grapes of Wrath. Anybody read The Grapes of Wrath? Good, a few of you. Uh, you should read that. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winner in the early 60s uh, for fiction, and it's still considered one of the, depending on which list you look at, one of the top 20 or 50 best American novels ever. But when it came out, the New York Times reviewed it this way. It is, it is the author's angriest book yet. He says, the author is angry. Uh, the people who are moving from, from Oklahoma in the wake of the Dust Bowl and their crops have died and professional farmers are moving in. They're fleeing to California. The family there uh, from Oklahoma, they're angry. The people in California whose jobs are being stolen by these outsiders, they're angry. In fact, Steinbeck said this. He said, the purpose of me write, the reason I wrote this book was to rip the reader's nerves ragged. In other words, he wanted to stir up anger in people as they read it, the injustice. Now, there are some good things about anger, specifically about that. So when injustice occurs, um, people get angry, and, and that's how wrongs get righted. Jesus in the temple, remember? All these people uh, coming in to buy sheep and goats, and doves, they're from out of town. They've come in for the feast and they don't want to drag their animals along with them for 80 or 100 miles. And so they come into Jerusalem and they just buy the animals they need there. And so the guys in the temple have set up their stands and they're selling uh, the animals that the people need, but they're doubling the price or tripling the price. They're, they're taking advantage of the need and they're exploiting people. And Jesus was livid. The Bible even says that he made a whip and drove these guys out. He said, this, my house is to, intended to be, or my father's house is intended to be a house of prayer. You guys have turned it into a den of thieves. So there's some, there can be good things about some kinds of anger. That's the reason the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, uh, if you're angry, don't sin. Be angry and sin not. There is a way to be angry and not sin. But I think most of us, as we hold the mirror up to our lives and see when we get angry and what happens and how we uh, interact with other people, we go, mm, is that something that is glorifying to God? Now, everything the doctors tell us about anger is pretty much bad when it comes to our bodies, right? Right? Uh, it creates anxiety, it contributes to depression, high blood pressure, uh, loss of sleep, um, heart attack possibilities, stroke. Anger is not really very good for your body. But more importantly, this is what the scripture t- talks to us about. It's not good for our souls. James chapter 1, 
beginning in the middle of verse 19, the Lord's brother says this. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and read it with me, slow to get angry. And then he explains why. Not just because it will increase your risk of high blood pressure or stroke, but human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. When you get angry, that goes the opposite direction that God desires for your life. And this affects your behavior. This affects my attitude. It affects our perception. It affects our relationships with other people. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Here's the bottom line. You think about it. My guess is that all, uh, all of us get angry, but probably only a few of us are angry people. You know what I mean. People who live on the edge all the time. People around whom their family members walk on eggshells. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. When dad's upset, look out. When my husband's like, everybody tries to keep the peace around this person. But you think about this. Whether you're a blow-up like that or you just get angry occasionally. Every time we get angry, it's because we couldn't have our way. Right? Every time I get upset, it's because things didn't go the way I wanted them to go. And sometimes, probably oftentimes, our anger is simply a response to other people getting in the way of our desires. And we're going to let them have it so that the next time, they are sure to let us have our own way. It might be yelling. It might be threatening. With a child, it might be... um, disciplining and anger instead of disciplining and and instructive love. We're going to make sure the next time you let me do what I want to do. And just think about that. If that's true, is that a root that exalts Christ, that represents the gospel, or is that something that uh, advances the interests of the enemy? We're going to talk this morning specifically about um, family tree fury. And that is that people uh, who grew up in a home where you had an angry dad or you had an angry mom or maybe both were angry have become an angry person and are producing other angry little people. And this morning, we're going to talk about some specifics about what to do in the weeks that follow. But this morning especially, I want to give you hope, whether it's for yourself or for somebody else, hope that those who have been sired, reared, and shaped by angry people, that there's, this is not the end of the road for them. Let's pray, and then we're going to read some um, things that Jesus said about anger. <clears throat> Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit this morning to speak to us through the word of uh, God. And I pray for uh, the kind of openness in our hearts that will allow you to speak into our lives. That the defensiveness and the rational, rationalization that we do, when we say, that person made me mad, I was justified in getting angry because this didn't go the way it should have, so much of that bound up ultimately in pride. I pray against Um, that wall and that barrier 
that this morning would keep us from hearing from you. Uh, Dismantle it. Um, Pull back the hard shell of our hearts that's going to allow your spirit to speak to us, to remold us, to shape us, and yes, to provide hope for us. And I pray against the enemy who is absolutely thrilled with uh, not just angry people but angry Christians because it scuttles so readily your work in the lives of people of this world because they just scratch their heads and say, well, it doesn't add up. They can't understand that people who have been redeemed and captured by the Lord of heaven and called to a life of righteousness are so angry. And so I pray for uh, or against the enemy this morning. Bind him, uh, tie him up, muzzle him that uh, his purposes would be thwarted and yours advanced for Jesus' sake. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew uh, chapter 5. In what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had a lot of things to say that were, um, well, let's be honest. When we read a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount, we go, well, that's just not reasonable. That, that, that's, that's not possible. That's, that's not how life is. And Jesus was trying to show that it may not be how life is, but that there is a better way, that there is a God way. And especially during, <clears throat> during, these, um, during this sermon, he talked about the difference between uh, outward behavior and internal heart, roots. And he says this, beginning in verse 21, <clears throat> Matthew 5, 21. <clears throat> you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, he's talking about the law. He's speaking to mostly Jewish people. So he's talking about the, what the law said, don't murder. Uh, murder is going to lead to judgment. You're going to be in trouble. But I say, now that phrase, when Jesus says it, is almost always a tip-off in the New Testament. To say, you've been told, behave this way. But I say, there's a deeper concern than simply your outer behavior. And that's the case here. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Wow. Wow. And it's tempting to say, Jesus, it seems like that's a little overreacting. For something that's as common to us, really, almost as breathing. To go so far as to say, you, you're in danger of the fires of hell? Now, I want to say two things out of this passage this morning. One, that Jesus is trying to impress upon us that anger is a gateway drug. Anger 
is a gateway drug. In other words, angry people do bad things. It opens, just the emotion opens them up to doing things on the basis of that emotion that are bad or even horrific. In February, <clears throat> there was a young man, 18-year-old man, down in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, got arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Now, Zion Shockley is a full-time caregiver of his five-month-old daughter. Her mother works full-time. He stays at home and takes care of her. What he does is whenever he's not taking care of her, he's playing online video games. And in February, he was playing Call of Duty with a bunch of buddies online. Things didn't go well for him. He lost. And one of his buddies called him a failure. He got so angry, he grabbed his daughter, he threw her up in the air, and didn't catch her. Landed on the bed, which is soft, but she's five months old. He wasn't done. He picked her up again, threw her up again. This was his way of expressing his anger. She dropped again. He went downstairs to get a bottle of water, and by the time he came up, she was unresponsive. Took her to the hospital where doctors confirmed that she was bleeding from her eyes and from her brain, and in two days she was dead. He's going to go to prison for a very, very long time. By his own admission, not the first time he had shaken her, thrown her, done something as a result of him being angry. Now, it's tempting to hear a story like that and go, who would ever do something like that? Anger's a gateway drug. Cain got angry and murdered his brother. Simeon and Levi, by their father's own testimony, had such fierce anger that they murdered people. Balaam, now this isn't so bad, but Balaam beat his donkey because he was angry. And King Saul tried to kill David because he objected that the people were more fond of David than of him. You see, anger can start with very small things that we go, ha, 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 that's not that big a deal. So your son gets a red card on the soccer field after getting a bunch of yellow cards. In fact, throughout his season, he's gotten... Three red cards. It's, that's not a big deal. He's intense. He's a committed, serious soccer player. Maybe in marriage, somebody's throwing dishes. Not that big a deal. Dishes can be replaced. Or you collect tickets for aggressive driving. So that's just who I am. That's just the way I am. I'm very intense. Or you storm out of a room. And somebody says something you don't like at a family gathering. Or people are walking around on eggshells. It's like it's no big deal. These things are not criminal, right? Gateway. Open doors to bigger things. Maybe not murder, but maybe child abuse. Maybe divorced. Maybe getting fired from your job. Maybe road rage. Maybe just loneliness because nobody wants to be around me. Anger's a gateway drug. 
That's what Jesus is trying to say. Comes out of the heart. Root grows and bigger things occur. Secondly, anger is a judgment magnet. Jesus is saying pervasive fury may ultimately bring on God's condemnation. Ken Sandy Um, head of Peacemakers Ministry, says that instead of admitting and tackling sinful anger, we like to use words like, I was hurt, I was troubled, I was frustrated, to conceal not just from other people, but to conceal from ourselves that we are controlled by sinful anger. I mean, seriously, think about, about this. The last time you blew up, did you conclude I, man, I really screwed up. I sinned there. I go back to my wife and say, honey, will you forgive me for that blow up? Go back to your son or your daughter. I had to go back to one of my sons one time right before communion to ask his forgiveness for what happened the day before I blew up. Has that been your response with your last instance of anger or did you justify and say, I I mean, they drove me to it. Um, This wasn't right. I was entitled to get angry because things, I mean, things, I was, it was righteous indignation. I'm troubled that I wasn't given that promotion, and so I stormed out in a huff. Uh, I'm hurt that you told her what was supposed to be a secret just between the two of us. might say, okay, I, I was angry, but God's going to seriously judge me with the fires of hell for that because I get angry a little bit here and there. What Jesus is trying to uh, point us to is the end of the line. In other words, oh, this is here, but this is here. In other words, we, if our life is so expressed, uh, so um, um, dip, depicted by ongoing anger, we should not assume that we are in Christ. That's what he's getting at. If if constant ongoing rage um, is who we are, we should not be convinced that we have been truly born again by the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God works in us, 2 Corinthians 3.18, to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And if we prayed the sinner's prayer, said yes to Jesus, but nothing's changed, specifically Jesus is talking about in the anger category, we should not be comforted that we have the real disease. Anger is a judgment magnet. Now I want to talk for the last few minutes about how this anger can simply be, or not simply, that's not a good way to put it, but anger can be um, the chestnut falls from the tree. I won't ask you to put up your hands, but I wonder how many of us here would admit, I grew up in an angry home. And then if you look in the mirror on an honest time, you say, and now I am that angry person. Angry parents tend to produce angry children who grow up and become angry parents themselves and angry adults. And our friends 
in the psychologist's office would say, that's kind of who you are. Um, the best you can do is anger management, right? Best you can, is that the case? I was looking this week uh, at Mayo Clinic's um, remedy for anger, 10 steps. And I'm looking down through that. I'm thinking, you know what, though? If I'm an angry person, all of those steps require me to, I have to have a desire to change. So if I don't have a desire to change, I'm not going to do step one, let alone steps two to ten. If I grew up in an angry home with an angry mom or an angry dad, is that it for me? Am I doomed to replicate what I grew up with? Am I doomed to become the person that I lived with all those years? Listen to this heartbreaking story. If you have the sermon notes, I wrote it in there for you. Young man, I have never, a young man says, I have never hated anyone before, but I can honestly say that I hate my father. Why? Because for my whole life, I have put up with his incessant perfectionism, obsession with small detail, short temper, criticism, verbal abuse, and emotional abuse. The roots of all that is anger. He continues, he is very opinionated and an angry person and has no hesitation in showing it both at home and in public. By the way, there's another um, description that we use for our anger. Say, I just, I'm strongly opinionated. And what we mean is, and that's okay. But that's a symptom. My family has, uh, he thinks he's always right and everyone else is always wrong and he expects to have everything his way. My family has tried to talk to him about his behavior, but he gets very defensive and loses his temper. He has lost several jobs. There's another aha symptom. He has lost several jobs, doesn't have many friends. That says it all. I don't know why my mother didn't leave him years ago. The worst part is I fear that my father's horrid personality is rubbing off on me. I see some of his traits in me, and it sickens me. I would rather die than turn out like him. Now let me read a verse out of Exodus chapter 34. Uh, verse 7, these, this is the Lord speaking. Exodus 34 Verse 7, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Oh, love that line. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. So, are you doomed and without hope if you're an angry person? Are your children doomed and without hope if you're an angry parent? If you are the son or daughter of an angry parent, are you doomed? 
Is there still hope? Can this cycle be broken or is it in the DNA? And that's the end of the story. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning at verse 14. This is my consolation. But suppose that sinful son, in turn, has a son who sees his father's wickedness and decides against that kind of life. This son refuses to worship idols on the mountains. He does not commit adultery. He does not exploit the poor, but instead is fair to debtors and does not rob them. He gives food to the hungry and provides clothes for the needy. He helps the poor. He does not lend money at interest, and he obeys all my regulations and decrees. Such a person will not die because of his father's sins. He will surely live. But the father will die for his many sins, for being cruel robbing people and doing what was clearly wrong among his people. And I understand that anger is not mentioned, but seriously, enough sins are mentioned to indicate that God meant to give us reassurance that no one is hopelessly doomed because of what daddy or mommy did. You look at the book of Chronicles, two books of Chronicles, and you see King King, king, and many of the kings were the sons of other kings. And we have here a bad king, and maybe another bad king, and then we have a good king. And then we have a bad king. And then we have a good king. If those boys were all doomed because daddy was a lousy follower of the Lord, then they wouldn't have been good kings. God is... Listen, God is not in any way limited by the way we were raised, grew up. That doesn't mean that we don't have some battles to fight throughout the rest of our lives. I know for a fact that I have been so shaped by some things that occurred in my home that I will always be weak in this area, but I don't need to be controlled in this area. I have a God and you have a God that's greater than all that. The weaknesses that your mom and dad demonstrated by how they raised you do not need to be your weaknesses. They do not need to control you. Transformation is possible and the Bible would argue it's also demanded. And so listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31. Paul says this. As the scriptures say, oh, that's really not right. That's Ephesians. Um, oh, it is Ephesians. I just have the wrong chapter. I'm doing a wedding this afternoon, so I'm focused on a man leaving his father and mother. Chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. That's really, we're all in the same category so far. Harsh words, still same category, and slander, still same category. In other words, Paul says this anger issue is so big, I I don't want you to miss it. (laughs) I'm going to give you a bunch of synonyms to make sure you know this is something you have to work, you have to fight against. You have to declare war on it and live on a war footing for the rest of your life. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And listen, you're not on your own. This is not just a can-do approach. You're like this is a, you know, you get a self-help book and you do these four easy steps and, and these three hard steps and you'll be good to go. You'll be on the path. This, you are not on your own. Some of the ways that I was shaped in my childhood, I, I could not overcome on my own. I, 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 I can't or couldn't overcome even with therapy, I don't think. But, but I can overcome with the work of the Lord in my life because Jesus died to break sin's power. Jesus died to break sin's power in you and me. And so the ultimate answer to your anger problem, to my anger problem, is not Adam Sandler's psychiatrist. Some of you know what that means. Your answer is Jesus Christ. And you can say amen to that if you believe it. Your answer, if you are a rage person, if you are an angry person, and everybody walks around on eggshells, and I use that phrase over and over again deliberately because I'm very familiar with it. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And I want to read Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For you as we close. When Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And he has designed you and me to live for the glory of God as well which means by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you, you can win. You can beat this thing. You do not need to be the slave of your mother and your father or your grandmother or your grandfather. You can be a whole new you, and you can break the cycle coming down the road with your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And that's the hope that Jesus wants to leave us with this morning. Let's pray. Father, so grateful that our family trees, influential as they are, don't, they don't have the final word in our lives. But you do. And that though the enemy, whom we're going to talk more about next week, seeks to destroy us, and for some of us, he's doing that in this area. We're just living lives of anger that we seemingly can't get under control. And so grateful that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We do have a hope. Things can be different. We do have the power. And a year, two years, five years down the road, our husband, our wife, our children can have a whole new us where the climate in the home is so different, so God-glorified, so filled with hope instead of sadness, instead of criticism, instead of fear, instead of depression, 
And that's my prayer for all of us, Lord. And especially for those of us who are angry people, bring hope, transformation to those homes. In Jesus' name, amen.